0: Good morning. There it is. All right. Just making sure. Well, uh, my name is Justin Craig. I am the Children's Ministry Director here at Windsor Road Christian Church. And it is my privilege this morning to continue our journey through James. Uh, last Sunday, we started a three week journey through the book of James. And uh, you guys are stuck with me this morning. So, um, on Tuesday, my wife and I celebrate our eighth wedding anniversary. I know. Who would have thought that she would have stuck it out for eight years? I mean, it, we've got two young girls at home, and so it's hard enough to parent them, but to parent the junior high boy that I am has got to be very, very difficult. But we celebrate eight years, but our history actually goes back further than that. We, uh, we started dating when we were in high school. June of 2000, we started dating. So we have been a couple for 14 years. Uh, We were a couple of awkward people at first and a couple of college students and now a married couple with kids, uh, which we love, by the way. Um, It was the summer of 2005. We had been dating for five years at this point. We had just finished up working at a camp in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, and we had about two-week break between the end of camp and the beginning of school. And so during those two weeks, I was going to spend one of those weeks in Rockford with her family and her, and the next week in Kewanee, Illinois, where, where my family is from. <laughs> That's not even my mom. My mom's over here. <laughs> Somebody else loves Kewanee. I think I know who that is. <laughs> and so for that first week, uh, I, I, was, I was kind of anxious because Stephanie's best friend that summer at camp had gotten engaged. And I was like, great. <laughs> well, now I guess i got to buy a ring. Okay, and so I I, I went through it went through the process in my head and I'm like, Yeah, I really think this is the next step for for our lives together, and I want them to be together as we step forward. And so so I, I asked her dad if I could have a conversation with him. And this was this conversation was not new to me or to him because two years before that we were working landscaping together. We were spreading mulch around a tree, and what's the best way to spread mulch around a tree is with a pitchfork. And um He's standing there holding this pitchfork and says, so Justin, what are your intentions with my daughter? (laughs) To go get more mulch. Uh, I'm going to go get more mulch. I'm going to (laughs) leave. I had no educated response, and if Gary remembers it as well as I do, I kind of stumbled over the mumbling, I love her, and I really like her, and she's cool, and she's pretty, pretty. Is that okay? Pretty? You know, and then it's just like, you know, you got to duck out of the way, and he didn't really know how that conversation was going to end, okay? For me, it ended. I think I went and got more mulch. But uh, this conversation this time was more serious. Uh, 2005, I was serious about wanting to marry his daughter. And so we sat down. We had the conversation. Uh, he asked me why I loved Stephanie. What did I love about her? How was I going to support her? Any, any questions that a good father would ask of, of the guy asking for her hand in marriage? And so uh, he said, uh, after uh, he talked about it with his wife, that they had given me their blessing to go ahead and ask Stephanie. And so uh, I I next had to go, great, so if I back out now, I owe Gary like a giant goat, right? You know, because it's like in Old Testament times, if you back out of something important, you got to give him like the fat calf or the goat, right? So I would have to give, maybe not, no? All right. Old Testament, weird laws, (laughs) I don't understand it. So now I had to go buy a ring. All right? And, and, and the ring choice, guys, is just not a good thing. Um, so I get to the ring store, and there's one that's for like, oh, let me show you the $10,000 one. I'm like, yeah, I'm in college. She's like, oh, well, we got bubble gum machines over there. I'm like, maybe something in between would be great. So I, I, I go, I find a ring, I have her best friend come and look at it, make sure that it was okay, and she's like, oh, that'd be great. So now I've got to plan the you know, the asking part of it, okay? So, so we have it all set up that we're gonna come back to Rockford for Labor Day weekend. And uh, so this is about two weeks after school has started and, you know, I, I've got it all planned out. We're gonna go to this place in Rockford called Anderson Gardens, Okay, there's this beautiful garden in the middle of Rockford, and it's got this nice waterfall, concrete bridge over the bottom, I'm like, yeah, yeah that's it right there. That's going to be it. And so we get there, and I've got the ring in my pocket. We're walking through. It's, it's a mildly hot day, but it's not as hot as I am sweating. Okay, I, I am, I'm, I'm nervous, and I'm just like, whew. I don't know if Stephanie thought I had bad food or what, but I was, I was a wreck, all right? We're walking through the gardens, and I'm like, oh, pretty flower, <laughs> <laughs> can you know and she's she is just I mean she she told me as we're getting ready for this she told me oh I knew something was up I don't know if she really did or not but she can hang that over my head forever now I don't really know but we get to this gazebo to where you can start to hear and you can start to see the waterfall and the bridge and I'm like here it is this is going to happen whoo you know I was really nervous about this and I look over and there is somebody standing on my bridge and I'm like you have got to be kidding me Go away! Get out! You're standing on my bridge. I'm about to. You know what? Let's just go home. I I forget it. You know, I I was just like, this is not working out the right way. And so we we sit there for an awkward amount of time because it's a gazebo. There's a thousand of these every block in everybody's neighborhood, and so it's like we've seen this before. And oh look, there's the pond, and maybe we'll see a frog no okay oh those people are still standing there wonderful this is great finally they move and it's like all right let's go let's go let's go let's go so i'm walking fast this is the fastest i have walked through the whole thing because one i'm nervous two i'm sweaty and i just want to get this over with okay so we finally get to the bridge we're looking up at the waterfall it's beautiful feel like i'm in an herbal essence commercial you know it's like okay we're we're standing there i look at her and i say something like you know i think you're really beautiful and she goes oh thanks and i said would you do me a favor and close your eyes? And, and if you know my wife at all, this response will not shock you. I ask her to close her eyes, and she goes, You're not going to push me in, are you? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I dropped $13.50 a piece to shove you in some water. There's puddles outside. I don't need that. I was like, no, I'm not going to push you in. Just close your eyes. And so finally, she closes her eyes. I get down on one knee. I pull the ring out of my pocket, and I'm thinking the whole time, don't drop the ring in the water, don't drop the ring in the water, don't, and I didn't drop the ring in the water, okay, but I get it out of my pocket, and I'm shaking, and you know, I'm like, you know, sweating really bad, and my arm fat is just all over the place, and looks like I should be like in a mental hospital at this point, I'm like, you can open your eyes, will you marry me, and she goes, no, and I'm like, no, (laughs) she's like, I mean, yes, of course, I mean, yes, wraps her arms around me, and I'm like, are you sure, do you need some time to think about it, you want to take the ring home, take it on a test drive like they do at the car dealerships. Take it home overnight, you'll be fine. Try it out, wake up tomorrow morning, see if you scratch your face with it. Bring it back, whatever. So eight years later, well nine years later, we are happily married. At least I think so, you may want to ask her. But uh, at that moment when, when the word no hit the air, it was like... Oh. It's just that moment where it's just like... ah. Oh. Well, I didn't really go as I planned, you know, and all of these things start running through your mind extremely fast, and you're like, okay, great, so now I've got to return this ring, I've got to buy Gary a goat, what is going to happen, you know? And so, she immediately rebounds with this word, yes, and it makes me think about our passage this morning in James, and about how important every word is, and about how much every word we say matters. So if you guys have your Bibles, let's open up to James chapter 3. If you didn't bring your Bible, there should be one in the row in front of you, and we are going to be on page 1012 in your Bible, or it'll be up on the screen. But James chapter 3. James starts out in verse 1 saying this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So, also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Here in the first five verses, James wants to make it very clear that we understand the power of our tongue, we understand the power of our words. In verses one and two, he goes to great lengths about talking about the importance of following a Christ led teacher. Somebody that is following after Jesus with every ounce of their being. One of the things I appreciate most about our church is our senior minister, Randy Boltinghouse, is the same Randy here as he is in the office. He's the same guy all week. He's not a different person. He's not more holy on Sunday. He's Randy on Sunday, and he's Randy in the office, following a Christ-led teacher is extremely important in fact james calls himself one of these teachers in 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 the first couple of verses he says we several times we will be judged with greater strictness for we know that we all stumble in many ways i love that there's nothing worse than going to a church and the the minister going you 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 because i've got it all figured out james includes himself here and i think that's extremely important for us to remember that he's in the trenches with us he then goes on to talk about three major examples of why our tongue is powerful. He, he compares them to three major illustrations of horses, ships, and fires. And I believe these are in a, a very specific order. You see, horses, as we learn later in, in, in chapter, in verse 7, we learn later that they are tamed by just about everybody. I mean, how many of us have pets? We, we we're able to tame all of our pets, right? Yeah, pet. No, really? There's like four pet owners in here. How many of you guys have ever had a goldfish? I think, I think goldfish are a great pet if you want to teach your kids about death. Um But we have all been able to tame some kind of animal. We've had an animal growing up. We've, had, we've, we've, we've seen animals at the zoo being able to, you know, take the ball out of the person's mouth. Oh, great, that's awesome. And so he compares our tongue here to horses, putting the bits into the mouths of horses and being able to guide the entire animal. And then he talks about ships here and all of the mechanical things that we have in ships nowadays. It's really easy to guide a boat. A lot easier than it would have been back when James was writing this. So to be able to compare the rudder to our tongue, and it it gives us a path of direction wherever we want to go. But the hardest of them all is, is the spark that starts the fire. You see, when a fire starts, we have very little, if any, control. We can control the other two, probably with ease for some of us, but a fire starts and it's, it's difficult to control. I think James uses that on purpose as he's talking about the power of our tongue. Words are potent weapons in the hands of those who crave their power. Words are potent weapons in the hands of those who crave their power. Not many people knew this better than the apostle Paul. See, Paul, before he was Paul, was Saul, and at an order from his mouth, people would die. At an order from his mouth, people would be thrown in jail. He knew how powerful his words were. He had a transformation, had had a conversation with God on a road, changed his entire life, and now he's using his words for God's impact, not his. And so as as Paul is directing Timothy to kind of take his place, take his role to be the missionary to these churches that he has helped plant, He says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Don't let anyone look down on you, Timothy, because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Again, I believe that these are in a purposeful order. The first thing he tells Timothy is set an example for the believers in speech. Our words are powerful. Paul knows that every word matters. Now, I love coming home from work every day because it's, uh, my girls, my, my, our two daughters, one is four, one is going to be 17 months this month, and they come running to the stairs and they're yelling, Daddy, dad, and it's so exciting. And to see their faces all light up as I come home, I haven't done anything for them throughout the day, like they're just excited to see me. And that word, daddy, rejuvenates my soul and gives me energy to, to plow through whatever you know, how, however tired I am or, or whatever I need to do to get through the rest of the day. Words are powerful. Remember a year and a half ago, my dad called me. And he said, Justin, you know, I've, I've been a little sick. I went to go see the doctor and I have bladder cancer. He keeps talking on the phone, but all I heard was cancer because that word is extremely powerful. Maybe it's powerful to you too. This next weekend, we have a family wedding that we're going to. Very exciting. Wedding is just a fun word. It gets you excited because it has powerful meaning. But so does the word divorce. It's another powerful word. Examples of how our words are extremely powerful. Every time we open our mouths, we have the opportunity to speak life or the temptation to take it away. God speaks creation to happening. In Mark 2, we see the story of the paralyzed man being lowered through the ceiling to meet Jesus so that he could have an encounter with him. What's Jesus do? He doesn't touch him. He speaks to him. He says, son, because, because of their faith, your sins are forgiven. Now get up, take your mat, and go home. Jesus speaks healing because his words are powerful. James wants to make sure that we know that too. Let's continue reading in James chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, verse 8. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who were made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh Water. He starts out here in verse 6, talking about how important our source of our words is. He talks about the power of our words and the importance of where our source is for our words. Verse 6, he's, he talks about the tongue staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. Every word affects everything. Verse 7, the taming of the animals. We've already talked about that. And no man is able to tame the tongue. Verse 8, he calls the tongue a restless evil. Now I thought this was interesting as as I'm studying this last week. Restlessness is a part of the demonic and evil world. Every time there is somebody possessed by a demon in New Testament literature, they are restless. But the opposite of that is peace. And peace is a part of God and his kingdom. Paul does not say, love, joy, restlessness is a part of the fruit of the Spirit. No, it's love, joy, and peace. So when when James calls it a restless evil, he's calling it very, very evil. When James is talking about taming the tongue, he isn't just speaking about the words we use. He is speaking about the sensitivity to use the words that are necessary. There tend to be two types of Christians. Those of us that are silent about our faith. We choose to just kind of hold back and oh my I'll, I'll let my silentness you know just kind of reign over what I do and I'll let my actions speak. And there are those of us that are silent and then there are those of us that this is where I am that we overspeak. There's silent ones and the ones that overspeak. I am in the camp of overspeakers And to those of us that are silent, I want you to know something. Silence is not a substitute for control. Being quiet about your faith does not mean you have a tight rein on your tongue. Again, as Paul instructs Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline. We're not called to be quiet but we're also not called to be over-speakers. To those of us that are a little more chatty than everybody else, I think we need to meet in the middle and use the words that are necessary. Last week we heard about how we need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And I think too often we mess that up. We are slow to hear, quick to speak, and quick to be angry. Because we're not using The necessary words. He then continues on in verses 9 and 10 about blessing and cursing. And both of these words, as he uses them twice in 9 and 10, both of these are present tense verbs. Their present tense means that James is not forecasting. He's not putting out the 10-day outlook. He's talking about the future cast right now of what is happening in their church, what is happening in our church right now. There is blessing on Sunday morning. Praise Jesus on Sunday. But when I go out to lunch and my waitress brings my food late, what's my reaction? Am I using the words that are necessary or am I using the words that are cursing? The necessary of blessing and cursing. Failure to recognize that each of us is created in God's image will eventually allow us to oppress and enslave one another, whether you are blessing or you are cursing, your words will plant seeds and grow in the minds of others. I love this this story and. He he came here to speak about a year and a half, two years ago. Craig Jatilla was here. He was uh, the former children's minister at Saddleback Church in California, and uh, Craig is now uh, just kind of travels and speaks and and does some does some authorship and things like that. But Craig was here uh, a couple years ago. We started to build a relationship with him, and then I saw him this last year as our Family Life team went to Atlanta to the Orange Conference and saw him. Got to talk with him for a little bit, and uh, he shared this story in one of the seminars he was talking about, and. Uh, he says, you know, I was, I was really nervous. You know, first time I, they, they gave me the microphone. Rick Warren came and handed me the microphone and said, hey, you're, you're going to be up in a few weeks. Get ready. So he's like, I was nervous as all get out, you know, speaking in front of tens of thousands of people on Sunday morning. I mean, that's, that's, those are big shoes to fill. I don't know that I can do that. So he's like, I was preparing for a very long time leading up this. First sermon gets done. He's like, and I thought I nailed it I thought I did a really good job and so first Sunday he uh he, he does that he comes in Monday morning some stack of cards there's comment cards that that they have uh really glad we don't have any of those so don't don't comment on anything <laughs> he's got a stack of comment cards of about 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 50 25 to 50 of them and he reads through them all of them great job Craig we love it when we love to hear you speak we love when you're on stage that's so awesome And he's like yeah it was that was great <laughs> He gets the microphone again. A few months later, he gets to speak again in the main service because of the good reaction that he had. So what happens again? He's like, man, I I hit a home run. Like, it was awesome, okay? I I didn't just nail it. I hit the home run. It was great. And so he comes to the office. The next morning, there's a stack of 100 cards sitting on his desk, every single one of them. Way to go, Craig. We love listening to you speak. The word of God was flowing through you this morning. It was just awesome. He's like, yeah, it was. This is great. You know, this is awesome. I'm getting all this encouragement. This is so great. The third time he gets up to preach, he's like, "I hit a grand slam, walk off home run. It was awesome." Okay, Cubs win the World Series. Well, not for him. He's a San Diego fan, but uh, he's like, "We win the World." He's like, "It was awesome." He's like, "There should have been fireworks afterwards. It was great." Gets to his office next morning early this time. There's a big stack of comment cards sitting there. He's going through every single one of them. They're like, this is great. This is awesome. You do such a great job on stage. And he gets down to the last card, and it's negative. And he's like, huh. They're like, enough with the jokes, Craig. We know you're funny. We want to know Jesus more. And he's like, oh, man, like this is really weighing them, he had 150 good ones and one bad one and he's walking the halls of their church just going all right who has it out for me who who doesn't like me you know who did i hit somebody's car You're like i mean i'm trying to figure this out and he's walking down the hallways of their church walks by because it's saddleback they have a room designated for sorting these cards okay he walked by, he's walking by, and it's either Joyce or Phyllis or something like that. And, and she's like, oh, Craig, what's going on? he's like, I got this bad card. And she's like, oh, really? I thought they were all great. And he's like, well, evidently this one slipped through. And she's like, yeah, well, let me see it. And so she takes a look at it and everything. She's like, oh, that's, that's not very nice. You know, I thought you did a nice job. And he's like, I'll take it back. She's like, no, 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 I'm keeping this. And he's like, why? She's like, you're not supposed to see those. He's like, those? That's plural. He's like, what? Are there more? He's like, I'm rummaging through her garbage, you know. She's like, oh, we shred all those. He's like, I want to see them. He's like, I want this. Come on. Like, he had 150 good comments and couldn't let that bad one go. He couldn't let that bad one go. Why? Because our words are sticky. Whether they're good or they're bad, they stick to us. We remember them. We bless and we curse in the same voice, in the same breath. James ends this by talking about salt and fresh water. He talks about a a spring that would pour forth both fresh and salt water. And even if there was a spring that would issue both fresh and salt water, who could trust it? You go one day and it is fresh. It is good. You go the next time and it's salt and it's like, "Uh, I don't understand this. You know, I may not ever go back there again. Are we being those fresh and salt springs? When the world sees our interactions with other Christians, with other people, are they seeing a fresh spring Sunday morning, 1045, and a salt spring the rest of the week? Are we able to be trustworthy with the message that God has given to us? You see, a spring can only pour forth what it has inside of it. Matthew chapter 12, verses 34 through 37. Jesus is talking with the Pharisees here. He says, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Jesus runs right after the hearts when he talks about the the words that we use. Our mouth is driven by what preoccupies our heart. Taming our tongue means dealing with our heart first, not merely trying to avoid blurting out unkind words. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. A spring can only rely on what's inside. If we want the spring to change, we have to change the source. I, don't, I, I wish I could tell you that I read this this morning in, in part of my getting ready for being up here, but I read this if, uh, about a week ago, and I thought this was interesting because the Holy Spirit places things on your heart, places things in your way to help you see Him clearer, and this was one of those times. This is the Jesus Calling devotional book. Uh, I go through it occasionally, and um, this is what... Uh, This is what this this one day says. It says, Watch your words diligently. Words have such great power to bless or to wound. When you speak carelessly or negatively, you damage others as well as yourself. This ability to verbalize is an awesome privilege granted only to those I created in my image. That's interesting. You need help in wielding this mighty power responsibly. The date is August 3rd. That's today. You have that right there. It's funny how sometimes the Holy Spirit knows just how thick-headed we can be to throw stuff in our way so that we're reminded of Him. If we want our powerful words to speak life rather than take it away, then we must change the source that our heart draws from. This is not a do more, try harder sermon. I don't want you to leave going, man, I've really got to do more, I've really got to try harder at this. In fact, we would like you to do less and trust more. Because when we try, we fail. We mess up all the time. We are not trustworthy people. Ask the people in your family, ask your kids the honest answers that come from kids' mouths. I'm not sure I want to ask my daughter that. Am I trustworthy? No. But if we're being honest with each other, none of us are trustworthy, right? The only one that is worthy of our trust is Christ. As James talks about the power of our words and how important the source of our words is this morning, I want us to not be trying harder. I want us to be trusting more. You know, I've I've heard, always said, I grew up in the church. My dad was a minister my entire life. Grew up in the church, and I heard that money is the hardest thing to give away. For Christians, it's the hardest thing to part with. Whether we have some or we have none, it is the hardest thing to part with. I think that's a lie. I think your heart is the hardest thing to part with. I think it's our heart. Because our heart is the source. What do little kids say in their baptism videos? I want Jesus in my heart. Do we want that? Do we want our sources to be changed so that our mouth is changed? As I was reading through uh, lots of articles, lots of things studying for this morning, I read this from Paul David Tripp. He wrote a a devotional book a few years ago about uh, our words, and he had this question to ask at the end of it. He asks, do you always speak in a way that makes you part of what God is doing in the lives of others? Do you always speak in a way That makes you part of what God is doing in the lives of others. You see, instead of trying, we need to be trusting. Trusting in the one who is still saying it is finished. Trusting in the one who is still standing alive from the grave. Trusting in the one who is still standing in victory for us. Let's trust God with our hearts. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. for your love that doesn't stop, your grace that keeps on coming, and a victory that we can rejoice in as well. God, thank you for the ways that you have blessed us. But God, I pray that we would be blessing others that we would be blessing others with the words that we speak, that we would be blessing others by the things that we do, the things that we think. Lord, help us to not try harder. That's selfish, Lord. If we want to do your will, we have to trust more. God, help my heart to be given to you every day. Because that's what I desperately need is for you to be in control, not me. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're gonna enter into a time of communion. And I always had it wrong as a child. Our communion table at church always said, this do in remembrance of me. And I took that me to be me. It's always focusing on, on my sins, the ways that I've let Jesus down, Sure, the the vision of the cross is there, but but always thinking about my sins instead of his victory. So this morning, as, as our servers come, I want you to be thinking about not your failures, not your shortcomings, not your sins, but the victory that the cross provides for us. Our servers will come.